Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Wow, good morning everyone and happy Resurrection Sunday. Can we get one more? Woo! I am very determined that today is a joyful day because today is the day that we remember that Jesus rose from the grave which means that we don't serve a dead God, we serve a living God. And not just any living God, but the God who reconciled us to himself through his own sacrifice, which is absolutely incredible. So we're going to remain in a posture of thankfulness and worship towards Jesus this morning as we get into the word. Um, Just to introduce myself, so I'm Daniela, I am married to Stefan, and we have a little baby girl brewing in the womb. So, um, <laughs> so <laughs> that is the sum total of our family at the moment. Um, I'm from the Santon congregation. I'm, I'm one of the leaders there. And it really is such a joy to be with you guys this morning to share a really, really special word on the resurrection and our resurrected king. Cool. So we've come out of a tumultuous three days reflecting on the Passover, um, starting with Good Friday, where we remember in somber reflection the incomprehensible suffering of Jesus on the cross, both physically and spiritually, on our behalf. On Saturday, we identify with the Jews of the time where they could do absolutely nothing but rest because the Sabbath commanded rest, and in their rest to really trust in the faithfulness of God to his promises hoping and believing that Jesus would rise from the dead as he said he would, according to the scriptures. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, then there would be little evidence to point to the fact that he really was the Son of God, that he was who he said he was. And even less evidence to the fact that his was a sinless life. And if Jesus' life was not a sinless life, then he was not a worthy sacrifice for our sins, and we would all still be in our sins, awaiting the wrath of God Um, which demands punishment and justice for the crimes that we've committed against him as humanity. And just to add to the weightiness of this resurrection, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says to New Testament believers, he says, if Christ has not been raised, um, we'll just be patient for Rodine to get the slide. Oh, I just wanted to say this. This is actually pretty crazy. So, sorry, sidetrack. But um, <laughs> we were told this morning about some crazy things that were happening technologically, like the line that connects the projector and the streaming was broken, our laptop was dead, the charger was missing, like crazy stuff. And I just actually had to laugh to be like, isn't it just super coincidental that on Resurrection Sunday, all this stuff would just go wrong? Like how even just the forces of darkness tremble because today is the day we proclaim that Jesus is alive and he's the one who has victory. So um, because of that, we'll be a bit slow on the slide. So just listen carefully. Okay, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So those who have died don't have hope of resurrected life if Jesus was not resurrected. Therefore, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So the Bible itself says 
that if the resurrection did not take place, our whole Christian faith is futile. It's worthless, it's empty, it's meaningless, because essentially we're ascribing to a hopeless religion. <laughs> um, but just with that in mind, um, we can be super thankful because there is more than enough historic evidence to point to the fact that Jesus really existed. Jesus Christ walked on actual ground in real time with real living, breathing people. And there is also enough evidence to point to the fact that he was resurrected. So for example, let me just give you two examples. So more than 2,000 years after Christ's death, still no one can produce the bones of his deceased body. So history can point you to the burial sites of Muhammad and Buddha, for example, but people can't point you to the burial sites of Jesus. There's a couple of sites that people have identified could possibly be Jesus' tomb, but either way it's irrelevant because his bones have not been located in any of them. Secondly, amen. Secondly, um, there's a pattern that you can see in his followers. So after Jesus' death, there were a couple of people who stood up and claimed to be the Messiah and then subsequently died. But um, <laughs> I could probably end it right there. But, um, but after their death, you saw something happen with their followers. Either their followers dispersed and the movement fizzled out, or the followers found a replacement Messiah that they could follow, which for me already is an indication that the first one couldn't have been a Messiah if he was easily replaceable. Um, yet, if we look at the Christian faith more than 2,000 years after Jesus' death, his followers have neither dispersed nor the movement fizzled out, quite the contrary, but rather his followers would rather die than deny Jesus' resurrection and, and his divinity. So, Perhaps the only explanation for this growing movement, these radical believers, and the fact that Jesus' bones are still nowhere to be found, is that it is true, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Yet, how many of us, when we share the story of Jesus, confidently share that he was the one who died for our sins, and somehow forget to add the part that he was also resurrected, almost as though his resurrection was just incidental or like the big bonus wow effect of what happened on the cross. But his resurrection could not be incidental. I mean, we've just read now that if Christ was not raised, we are still in our sin. If Christ was not raised, we have no hope for life after death. If Christ was not raised, we are all foolishly worshiping a dead man, a corpse, if Christ was not raised, then every witness of the resurrection and every preacher of the resurrection is a deluded liar, <laughs> which means with all of this said, if Christ was not raised, then truly we are, of all people, most to be pitied. So not only does the resurrection prove and confirm the identity of Jesus, but the resurrection also holds with it a life-altering hope for us as Christians. And I had to consider this personally recently, that if the resurrection is the big climax of the gospel, and if the whole hope of the Christian faith rests on the resurrection, surely I should be able to identify how that's changed my life. And I have to be honest with myself, you know, I think I have a comfortable enough grasp on Jesus' death on the cross being the substitution 
um, for my sins, where he faced the wrath of God and the punishment of God on my behalf for my sin, which means that I never have to fear God's punishment for my sin because he's covered it all. But then I had to think, perhaps I haven't quite grasped the, the weightiness and the significance of the resurrection if I'm unable to pinpoint in my life exactly how it's changed the way that I live or the way that I see myself or the way that I see God. And maybe with that, if I can, oh, you don't have to raise your hands, but I mean, how many of us are actually able to say that the resurrection has been a life-altering revelation for us? <laughs> Whoa, come on. Okay. <laughs> so this morning, um, I'm really excited to share on the life-altering hope of the resurrection. I'm going to share around um, and the immediate and future hope of the resurrection, both of which should change the very way that we live now. And I'm not suggesting that the hope of the resurrection is limited to these two things, but more that I'm limited to my time. So those are the two things that we'll be discussing, um, and then we'll get into it. Let me pray for us before I do. Yeah, Father God, we thank you so much that we can be gathered in your house this morning. And the only reason that we can be here with joy, with joy and with thankfulness and with praise and worship is because you sent your son to cover our sins, to rise from the dead so that we could have the promise of resurrection life. Lord God, I pray that you will please reveal in our hearts this morning the significance of the resurrection and what it means for us as believers. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll cause pennies to drop and help us to really have our eyes open to the revelation of the gospel, that it will no longer just be the story that we share on Sunday school or on Easter Sunday, but that, that it will be real for us, Lord Jesus. Yeah, we just commit ourselves to you. I commit this word to you, Father. I pray that you'll have your way. Amen. Okay, let's get in. So, Romans 10 verse 9, there's no slide ready. Um, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. And it's at this point that something radical begins to happen in our hearts, starting now and building up to eternity. When we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. And it's not just any spirit, but it's the Spirit of God, who is God, and it's the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. So Romans 8 verse 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So already here, we're pointed to a hope of the resurrection, that if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, we have the promise of life now, like in that very moment, with the same resurrection power through which he raised Jesus. So this is something that cannot be explained logically or scientifically. It's completely supernatural. The thing that happens in our hearts is something beyond us. It's something that only God can accomplish. And it's incredible. So when we give our lives to Jesus, believing that he is the Messiah and the Savior, the only one worthy to carry the sacrifice for our sins, that through him we are clothed in his perfection so that we can stand boldly before the presence of God. At that moment, also scripture says that our old self is crucified with him on the cross. Okay, so Romans 6 verse 47 literally uses this language about we have been crucified with Christ. Our old self has been crucified with Christ. 
So if we have been, our old self has been crucified with Christ, then we can also have the very same hope that we will be resurrected with Christ both spiritually and physically. I'm going to be talking about both of those. I want to say spiritually resurrected where we become a new person inside. There's something new that starts to happen in our hearts and obviously physically resurrected at the end of our days. Now there are a bajillion scriptures that I could use this morning to unpack the hope of the resurrection, but I'm going to be referring to Colossians 3 verses 3 to 4 because of the beautiful picture that the scripture paints. So Colossians 3, verse 3 to 4. You should be able to recite this by the end of this morning, just by the way. Okay, so for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So if our old selves have died, have been crucified with Christ, what now? This is where the scripture begins to paint a really, really beautiful picture. So presently, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. So when you think of a life hidden in something, what do you think of? I'm hoping that there's some people in the room who also agree that they think of a caterpillar in a cocoon, right? Because (laughs) that is a life hidden in something. So before I carry on, I just want to pause here. The things of God are so, so big for us to understand that I believe that God has hidden all around us earthly examples of heavenly realities to help us to understand the incomprehensible things of heaven. So the earthly examples around us are not perfect illustrations of the heavenly things, but they are sufficient enough to open our eyes to God's design. And I think that God has hidden um, in nature a radical example of the resurrection and the impact of the resurrection through the earthly example of a caterpillar, a caterpillar's metamorphosis into a butterfly. Okay, I'm about to blow your minds, so get ready. Okay, so um, as, I, as I share, I'm going to get biological now, so I'm probably going to read a bit more, but as I read this, I want you ready to start picturing how this is a picture, a powerful picture of the resurrection. We're going to unpack it as well together. Um, but I feel like once you grasp this, or at least I experienced it for myself, once I grasped this, it completely opened my eyes to the way that I read and understood every scripture on the resurrection. Like, for me, it was a pranny drop moment. So I've, I've built it up a lot now. So <laughs> Holy Spirit, please help me. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, so we have died, and our lives are hidden in the cocoon of Christ. So I'm not going to assume that everyone knows this, because I didn't know this before this exploration, but... Did you know that a caterpillar actually dies in the cocoon? I did not know that. I always thought that a caterpillar slowly, progressively, you know, grew wings and then was just became this beautiful thing. But a caterpillar doesn't slowly progress from a caterpillar into a butterfly. It literally dies in the cocoon. Okay, so a caterpillar is programmed by a set of genetics that sit in their DNA, spelt out in chemical letters A, C, T, and G. I just included that so you know it's legit. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The genetic instructions of a butterfly are completely different to that of a caterpillar. So this already should show us, because we, we should know, we don't have to be super biology experts to know, that every living creature has a unique set of DNA instructions. 
So if the creature that is in the cocoon has one set of instructions, and the creature that comes out of the cocoon has a different set of instructions, that tells us that it's not one animal going into the cocoon, growing into to a different form. It's literally one animal going in and a different one coming out. Okay. So the moment a caterpillar hides itself in its cocoon is the moment it begins to perish, and the butterfly genetics begin to switch on. Bernd Heinrich, he's this well-known biologist, he calls this phase a death-like intermission. Sort of like where we're at right now in the Lord. <laughs> death-like intermission. So inside their cocoon, these caterpillars shrink, shed their skin, and their organs dissolve. So their insides literally turn to mush. But whilst most of their cells die, there's a handful of cells that still remain in the mush. These are called the imaginal or the adult cells. And then at this point, these imaginal adult cells spring into action. They rearrange the free-floating proteins and nutrients, and they basically turn what was once a caterpillar into a butterfly. So Bernd Heinrich, this biologist, says, quote, unquote, the radical change that occurs does indeed arguably involve death followed by resurrection. So he explains that what happens is that the caterpillar section of the DNA turns off and the butterfly instructions turn on. This means that most of the one body dies and a new life is resurrected in a new body. So already here, we're taught that resurrection life cannot come without death. So the caterpillar has to die before resurrection life can take place. And it's very much the same with us. So we're go I'm going to pack it further now. So we, the precondition to us experiencing resurrection life is death. It's dying to our old self, as we read now. When we die to our old self, that's when resurrection life starts to take place in us, transforming us. Um, so that happens now, and then obviously um, later on when we do die our physical death. So let's go back to that scripture now with that picture in mind. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So we have died, yes, but our present life is currently hidden safely in the cocoon of Christ in God. So I'm at two layers. Okay, and as we live this life in the cocoon of Christ, in his safety, we die daily to our old self. So it's not an instantaneous event necessarily because we start to see and witness across over our lives that we slowly start dissolving and turning to mush. Our old self, our old ways start turning to mush. The sins we once enjoyed, we no longer enjoy. Um, the hearts that we had that were willingly disobedient to God against his commands and his statutes are now hearts that desire to obey him and to follow him. So... And what's also so beautiful for me with this picture and going back to the scripture, um, you can keep it on Colossians 3, um, Rodine. When Christ, it says, when Christ who is your life appears. So that thing of Christ who is your life gives me this picture that Christ in us, through the same Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead, that Christ in us is those little, those imaginal adult selves which start to do the switch from one creation to another creation. So Christ is the one in us who essentially starts the switch to change our DNA. Um, so let me just, yeah, let me emphasize this. So 
at this point, I thought that there could be people who are like, yeah, Daniela, that's really pretty and stuff, but, you know, self-help books are good for me. You know, self-help books really, really change me. Um, so I Googled. And um, Google really, yeah, showed me that everyone agrees that self-help books um, help you to build new behaviors, to improve your self-esteem, and they help you grow. But no one has been bold enough to venture and say, self-help books can change the fundamental makeup of who you are as a person. Because a changed behavior cannot change the fundamental makeup of who you are as a person at heart. But a change of the fundamental makeup of the person you are at heart can change your behavior. And this is exactly what resurrection life does inside of us. It literally changes the fundamental makeup of who we are at heart. And it's radical. Again, it cannot be explained apart from God. So, um, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I can't remember if I have a slide for this, but just, again, going with this picture, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Not, if anyone is in Christ, he is an improved creation. He's not a caterpillar slowly growing into a butterfly. If anyone is in Christ, he's literally a new creation, which a new creation, which we've just learned, has to have a completely different set of, of DNA and, and genetic instructions in its DNA. So Christ does in us such a radical change in the same way that we see a caterpillar turn into a completely different animal when it comes out of the cocoon. The old has passed away. The new has come. And this is a wonderful immediate hope for us that we can hold on to um, with the resurrection. Um, I'm going to explain how practically. So first of all, it gives us a new context to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So those moments when the Holy Spirit, you know, reveals to us our sinfulness. And you know how we use this term all the time, like, I feel like such a worm. Now I've given it a whole new meaning. So you are, <laughs> you are a worm. Okay. Um, <laughs> so um, when the Holy Spirit gives us that conviction, revealing our sin, it's not to shame us, but his conviction, if we now understand that his conviction is the tool that he uses to cause the old self to die, and that because the Holy Spirit's the same one who rose Jesus from the dead, we know that his conviction is accompanied with the power to transform and to change and to resurrect, to bring new life, to replace that dead thing and cause something new to take place. So even when we experience conviction that leads to repentance, it can be a joyful experience because we know that the old self is dying, knowing that a new self with a new DNA, a new creation is being formed inside of us. And this became real for me. I mean, for example, I was in worship quite recently and um, just yeah, felt prompted to repent of something. And I'd repented, and I knew that Jesus had forgiven me, but I still felt worm-like <laughs> in that moment. And in that, in that moment when the Holy Spirit, it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit reminded me, but Daniela, resurrection life is already taking place in you. Like, your repentance is evidence of the old self dying, which is such a wonderful hope. Um, a hope that we can't have without the resurrection. And so I could identify with Galatians 2, which says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So this change that happens in us, whilst it's a supernatural event that happens, it does require a little bit of participation from our side. Um, I don't have it, oh no, I do have it on a slide. Um, if you continue reading, actually, in Colossians 3, so from verse 5, the very next slide, um, we are encouraged, I don't have it in my notes, I'm very dependent on this slide right now, um, we are encouraged to put to death our earthly self. Um, no, it's not that one. Okay, give me a sec, I'll quickly open it. Um, okay, so when Christ is your life appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, um, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So in light of this knowledge that we have died, and that our old self is dead, we ought to continuously make effort to put off everything that is earthly in us. So that means saying no to sin. It means giving ourselves continuously to God so that we can be vessels of righteousness rather than giving ourselves to sin as vessels of unrighteousness. And in this process, we can be encouraged because we know when we do, it's not an endless affair, that when we do, resurrection life can take place and change us. So how many of us, live in a sense between the cross and the resurrection, where we believe that Jesus has died for our sins, yet we live as though our transformation depends completely on us. How many of us desire to have that changed heart that changes our behavior, yet are striving for it apart from Jesus? And then we end up seeing that changed behaviors doesn't change who we are, and then we end up completely disappointed in who we are. How many of us, although believing in his death and resurrection, are still stuck living as the old self, stuck in these old ways, preventing resurrection life from fully taking place um, to transform us into a new creation? So resurrection life has begun, and I think what is so beautiful for me as well is that resurrection life cannot be enjoyed apart from Jesus, because it's because of Jesus that we have the resurrection power inside of us, and it's through him that we see the resurrection power transform us. So in all these things, it ultimately points us back to him in such thankfulness and wonder and awe, because now everything that we need to do, he's already doing inside of us. Um, and we can be so grateful to him. I mean, that moment in worship when I realized that, I actually just worshiped louder and had tears of gratefulness because I was like, Lord, I can't believe that this is what you've done. So in a sense, the resurrection also um, points us and draws us closer to him in intimacy and reverence and awe. He's taken away yet another obstacle to our relationship with him. So this is how the immediate hope of the resurrection changes our present lifestyle. And I think what's beautiful, I mean, how the scriptures spoke about how we'll um, reflect the image of our creator. So it's so cool because it's not just about us, because as we are transformed by this resurrection life, we reflect more of Jesus. And as we reflect Jesus, we glorify him to the rest of the world. Okay, moving on to our future hope. Let me take a sip of water. <laughs> okay. So ultimately, once we die our physical death, there still remains a hope for eternity. 
So going back to Colossians 3, yay. Um, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So our future hope in the resurrection is twofold. One, that we will appear with him in glory. So as we live this life presently, we are evidently all still caterpillars. Um, We are not quite yet butterflies. We still see evidence of that caterpillar self that needs to die. But the future hope of the resurrection is that there will be a day when we will finally be rid of these wretched bodies of sin and we will be united with Christ in a new glorified body. So also, again, beautiful picture of caterpillar versus um, versus a butterfly. So we will be rid of these bodies of sin that hold us back and we will eventually be sinless and reflect the image of our creator. And there's no portion of scripture that, that um, really solidifies this picture better than in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, just see if it comes up. Otherwise, okay, awesome, thank you. Okay, because I do want you to follow with me, okay? Because this is flipping cool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So we've already established that. So if we're talking about, we're talking about resurrection bodies here, okay? So what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Unless a caterpillar dies, it cannot be resurrected into a caterpillar. Unless we die to self, spiritually, we cannot experience resurrection life inside of us that transforms us into the image of Jesus. Unless we die physically, we cannot experience um, resurrected bodies. So what you sow um, does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow, these bodies, is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, which is the analogy Paul went with. So um, what you sow is not the body that is to be, again, aligning with this picture, that the, the creature that goes into the cocoon is not the same body that comes out of the cocoon. Same with us. The body that goes into death is not the same body that is resurrected. Um, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. Again, incomparable glory of the, the old caterpillar body versus the beautiful, glorious <laughs> butterfly body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So I just felt like this um, caterpillar parable or an earthly, earthly example really paints an incredible picture here of what we have to look forward to with our resurrected bodies that cannot be compared to these wretched bodies of sin. Okay, and then the second part of our future hope is that we will, I'm going to read Colossians 3 again. Um, so we, we have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the second part of our future hope is that we will be with Jesus. And if we have this hope to look forward to, it should change the way that we live now. Our future hope should change our present lifestyle. And I think we've all experienced how differently we live when we have something to look forward to, right? Like a beach holiday, for example. When you have a beach holiday, that final week of work before your holiday is sometimes the most productive week that you've ever had. Like, there's so much that you want to get done in that week because you know what's coming. You work with a sense of excited anticipation because of the reward that lies at the end of that week. 
And I can guarantee you that your demeanor in comparison to your colleague next door to you is radically different. Your demeanor and your ethic, actually. All because you know what lies on the other side. Whereas your colleague just has another week of slogging to look forward to. So, um, if a beach holiday can change the way that we live, how much more should the hope of being finally united with Jesus change the way that we live today? And if that is the final hope that we're looking forward to, it will probably even change the activities of our life, <laughs> not just fill us with increasing endurance and a sense of excited anticipation, but the things that we, we busy ourselves with will look probably completely different. So this is also how then our future hope of the resurrection should change the very way that we live now. And it's not just a historical figure that we will get to be with. Jesus is fully man and fully God. He is fully God. He is the man with fire in his eyes, with hair as white as wool, with a glory that is so bright that it's literally blinding. Jesus is the one who loved, literally loved us to death, who willfully gave, who took upon himself the Father's wrath, which we all so richly deserve to bear. He kept the law of God perfectly and voluntarily laid down his life, serving the death sentence of criminals. By faith in the risen Christ, who once hung on that judgment tree, we are all declared righteous. Price paid, not guilty. We are God's enemies now seated at his banquet table. This is the Jesus that we will get to spend our eternity with. So, because Jesus has risen, we have hope for um, we have hope for life after death. Because Jesus has risen, we can be assured that we are no longer in our sins. Because Jesus is risen, we can be assured that we're not worshiping a dead man, but that we're worshiping a, worshiping a living God. Because Jesus is risen, we. Christians of all people are most to be envied because of the hope that we get to live with. All right, you guys can close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us. Um, you can stay seated for now. Your band, you can come up. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you that through the resurrection, you have shown us the way to God. You've pointed us to God. We thank you, Lord, that because of the resurrection, that we can have joy that these wretched bodies of sin will be no more. Thank you, Jesus, that because of your resurrection, we can look forward to the day when we will be resurrected in glorious bodies and that we will ultimately be with you. We thank you so much, Lord, that all of this is because of the sacrifice you are willing to bear for us, Lord. Thank you that everything that separated us from you, Lord, you have accomplished on our behalf. There is nothing left for us to do other than just to love you and enjoy you forever, Lord. We exalt you and we thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.